You're listening to Little Green Cheese, episode 14. Well, welcome back. My name's Gavin Webber, and this podcast is where you can learn about cheese making at home. Well, it's been an exciting week this week, Uh, not necessarily on the cheese front, but on the green living front. And most of you would probably know that I'm a bit of a sustainable living, what's the word for it? I'm not going to say guru, sustainable living practitioner, I suppose. Um, I was nominated for an award uh, here in Australia, and it was the Green Lifestyle Magazine Award uh, 2013. And I won the category that I was entered into. So I was, uh, I'm honoured to uh, actually receive the award, and it was for Local Green Hero. Um, if you want to learn more about that, you can pop over to uh, www.greeningofgavin.com and uh, have a look at the award. Uh, there's a lovely little uh, acceptance speech video that I did, uh, they asked me to do, because uh, I didn't fly up to Sydney, because uh, I didn't want to uh, increase my... Uh, my greenhouse emissions, and uh, therefore my carbon budget. So that's just part of my value set. So anyway, on with the podcast. Uh, Today we've got a guest all the way from Maitland in New South Wales. We have Mark Brown. So here's the interview. Well, this week's guest on the Little Green Cheese podcast is Mark Brown. And Mark Brown lives on a farm, and it's called Purple Pear Farm. How are you, Mark? Well, thanks, Gavin. Yes, good. Uh, it's been uh, horrible weather in the Hungary, but uh, uh, I'm fine. Fantastic. Where do you come from? We uh, the, the farm is just outside of Maitland in the Hunter Valley, just north of uh, Newcastle. We've, we're on 14 acres here, Gavin, uh, uh, just uh, very peri-urban and becoming closer to being a city farm than peri-urban at the moment. The, the town of Maitland is wrapping around us. Oh, okay. Rapidly. That's a bit of a shame. So, was there like suburbs uh, really close and they're just expanding out? Well, I like to look at it, put a positive slant on it, and our customers for our food and that are moving closer to us. <laughs> that, that is a good way to do it. That's fantastic. Yeah, we'll have zero food miles shortly. Okay. So, you also have a blog, is that right? Yes, uh, my partner Kate runs the blog most particularly. Um, it's the the Purple Pear Farm Permaculture in Action blog. Okay, what I'll do is um, I know what it is. <laughs> what I'll do is I'll put that into the show notes so uh, everybody okay. can um, and get there. Um, right, so yeah. there'll be no hassle um, at all. Okay, so let's start talking about cheese. So when did you first start making cheese, Mark? When we moved uh, to establish Purple Pear Farm here in 2006, one of the first things we did was to get a Jersey cow. And uh, she came uh, in calf and had the, uh, had the calf at around about Easter in 2006. And uh, we uh, very much enjoyed the manure from the cow and just the presence of the cow on the farm. Uh, and she produced quite prolifically with milk. We were milking only once a day and getting about six or seven litres, and uh, we needed to do something with that milk. 
and cheese was the obvious way of ensuring that we preserved that milk and made a, a valuable asset out of it. Uh, so uh, I guess uh, 2006 and uh, an excess of milk was what prompted me to get into cheese making. Of course, it's uh, it's gone way beyond that now. Oh, I bet, yeah. So you said <laughs> uh, you, it's a city farm basically now that, uh, that yeah. people come to visit. Yeah. So how many acres is the farm? It's 14 acres. Uh, what's that in the new money? 5.6 hectares, I think. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so it's, it's a small holding, but it's, uh, we, we primarily run a market garden with a, a community-supported agriculture scheme, uh, and that takes up, you know, probably the market garden's about an acre, and the rest of it is under uh, fruit and nut trees and olives and grapes, and there's about 10 acres that we rotate uh, the dairy cows, there's usually two, and uh, the pony that's used for Kate's birthday parties. Oh, lovely. So uh, about 10 acres for grazing. Um, yeah. And I, I mentioned that uh, we we did have two dairy cows. The yeah. idea was that uh, uh, we're milking one and the other one's resting sort of thing. Yeah. Has that worked out? But, well, it, it's never worked for us, no. <laughs> You know, getting the timing right on that has been, you know, you get a phantom pregnancy and you, you're nine months out of uh, out of whack. So it never really did work, but unfortunately the young uh, cow, Patsy, who the, the, was the calf of Bella, our, our current cow, the young Patsy went down with three-day sickness and didn't get up. Oh, no. Uh, so uh, yeah, she's left us now. Very very sad because mm-hmm. one of the things in owning a house cow is you, you know, it's it's more of a pet than a livestock. Yeah, for sure. You, know, you develop quite a relationship with them. Yeah, I have the same thing with my chickens. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. All, all those sort of animals, the same sort of yeah. thing. They become part of the family, and especially um, when you're in contact, you know, you're milking the cow every day, so. You, you strike up a relationship with it. Yeah. Yeah. So making cheese since 2006. Um, so what sort of cheeses have you made? Uh, well, quite a range. Um, but now we settle on, on one or two uh, stock standard ones. Primarily we make a Colby now, yep. uh, which is a washed curd cheese. And uh, we found, like I, I did some experimentation with cheddars and uh, all sorts of weird cheeses, and by and large they were too strong in taste for for my partner Kate and for other people. Uh, certainly when we had uh, uh, woofers here, the European woofers loved my cheeses, but by and large the Australians didn't. Yeah. So we found that the Colby was a good... Uh, stock standard cheese uh, that everyone could eat and you know it went well on pizzas as well as grilled under the uh, griller and uh, you know just generally sliced good for uh, on sourdough bread and stuff so uh, we stuck primarily with the Colby apart from that we make uh, paneer which is a non-cultured cheese and uh, we like to use that in a lot of our curries and things like that a lot of our uh, Indian-type dishes. And uh, sometimes I make a ricotta with the whey from the Colby 
uh, and we have uh, spinach and ricotta parcels and that sort of thing. Delicious. So they're, they're our primary stock standard basic cheeses these days. So how many times a week would you make that? Well, once a week, I suppose, usually. Um, uh, sometimes I'll, I'll make, uh, you know, two or three cheeses in a day and, uh, and that'll be my day's work uh, getting them all done. Yeah. So what and, uh, what what would the average weight be of the um, the unpressed the the cheese after it's just been pressed? Yeah, uh, I think they run at about a kilo. Oh, okay. Yep. We're using uh, seven liters of milk uh, in our in a cheese, and I think it comes out at a little bit under a kilo, probably eight hundred grams or something. Yeah. Uh, usually. Very similar to the ones that the, the recipes that I use that have between seven and. And eight uh, litres of, of milk, yeah. Yeah, you probably started with Ricky Carroll too, did you? I, look, I kind of did. There was a couple of books that I started off with. One was Ricky Carroll's book. The other one was uh, Tim Smith's Artisan Cheese book was oh, yeah. another one. And uh, and I also picked up a little, um, it was more of a pamphlet than anything else from the cheesemaking course I did from these lovely ladies that came to visit our community house, and that's kind of how I learned how to make cheese. Ah, that's lovely. Yeah, and they were lovely old ducks, and they um, they taught me how to make uh, feta was the first one I ever made. Oh, and right. uh, And then... Um, uh Well, no, they use um, cow's milk, and we okay. added lipase, so I gave it that tangy yep. goat yep. milk flavour type thing. So, okay. yeah, okay. delicious. And then from there, I've just been making cheese since uh, 2009, um, just okay. at home with whatever milk I can get my hands on. And yep. we go from there. So. so would you do one a week, Gavin? Um, I'm doing about one a fortnight at the moment. And it might range from soft cheeses like 30-minute mozzarella all the way up to um, Parmesan or Romano. Um, yeah. But I also make a, a Wicked Colby as well. My wife loves it. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> and I've only just made... It's good cheese. It is. It really? It's so easy. It's so... Um, uh, the, the wash curd process is quite easy. Once you, once you had done it... Uh, once or twice, um, yeah. certainly haven't had a problem with it. No, I like the Gouda uh, as a washed curd that goes into the salt bath too, you know. Yeah. That, uh, that, that works pretty well for me, but uh, um, I suppose to simplify things, we just stick with the Colby now. Yeah. So do you sell those cheeses at the at the farm? No, no, no. They're, so they're just for private. They're all raw milk. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and so, you know, we don't sell them. We don't even give them away. We basically, it's our lunch here, you know. Oh, fabulous. And, uh, we've, uh, we run woofers, you know, woofers. Willing yeah, workers. W- yeah, willing workers and, on uh, organic farms. So a, uh, a loaf of sourdough bread and a, a lump of Colby and some zucchini pickles sort of makes up our lunch most days, you know. Good old, good old ploughman's lunch. Yeah, delicious, delicious. So, so other, so where do you make the cheese? Do you make it in the kitchen, or have you got a special area that you make it in? Uh, a bit of both. I mean, we use fairly we we use fairly stock standard kitchen um, uh, equipment and that. But uh, a lot of our cheeses now we make because we run cheese making courses here on the farm as part of our skills for living sustainably series lovely lovely and so yeah so we do sourdough bread and uh preserving and cheeses and and that sort of thing so uh, you know some of our cheese gets made as part of the course uh 
Yep. And uh, that some I'm just doing the kitchen too. We are in the process of putting in a commercial kitchen, and uh, hopefully then we can actually get into value adding and you know doing something that we could sell to the public. Yeah. But we're not there. So you have so to actually sell, you would have to have a commercial kitchen, right? Yeah, 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 certainly for preserves and jams and and those sorts of things, and yep. I guess for cheese as well, you would need to do them in a, a certified commercial kitchen for sure, and put all the proper labelling on, you know, the proper analysis and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, and uh, the, uh... There's, a, there's a lot to go through, but I mean, once you go through it, it's probably worthwhile because you know value adding your farm produce uh, is a pretty important part of of a business plan, you know? Yeah, and you certainly make a lot more than you would um, just selling stuff at a, as a, at a normal farmer's market in your market garden stuff, wouldn't you? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. cool. So um, so what are some of your successes and challenges for cheese making? So what are you... Ah, now, um, I, I suppose as far as successes go, I would say that I've never made a cheese that I couldn't eat. Nice. Um yeah, you know, the, you might start out making a Colby and end up making uh, a goodness knows what if you get the timing <laughs> wrong or, you know, you overcook it or something like that. Yeah. But I've never actually mucked it up to any to a degree where I couldn't consume it. Uh, and I suppose that's in partly due to cleanliness. Yes, you know, exactly. You're not getting a bad bacteria in there, but uh, I think... You know, I would have to, I don't know whether it's success or luck, Gavin, but uh, (laughs) I I do pride myself in the fact that I've never made a cheese I couldn't eat. (laughs) Um, uh, And I suppose that covers failures as well. The the challenges for me have been in the past uh, uh, just moderating the temperature during the curing process. Yeah. Uh, I started out my cheese cave with a styrofoam box with a little dial thermometer sticking out the end of it yeah. and a nice and a nice bottle in in there. And uh, I, I now I went to a wine cooler fridge. When, you know, when I had quite a few cheeses on the go, the the styrofoam box didn't work anymore. So I bought a little wine cooler fridge, and that works quite well. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so the challenge, I guess, uh, has always been just to keep that, you know, that that eleven, ten or eleven degrees uh, during the during the curing time. Um, very important, I think, to make, especially for consistency. Yeah, most definitely. So I, I've also got one of those wine cooler fridges that you can set down to about. I think the lowest it goes is about ten or eleven. Yeah. And I think it goes as high as maybe 18. Do you find in summer that um, that the temperature is so hard to keep below, say, 15? Yeah, it can be. Um, if, if your fridge is sited in a place where it can't get cooling, um, then it can be difficult, you know. And I've, I've been in there with a... Um, uh, you know, a, a cup of water sort of sprinkling down the back to try and help it to refrigerate a bit better a couple of times. It, that That is a bit of a challenge. Um, I, I would dearly love to have a real cheese cave, you know, something that was sort of 30 foot into the mountain or something. <laughs> <laughs> 
but yeah, uh, you know, if, if it's stuck into a, a room that gets fluctuating temperatures, then the actual uh, temperatures can fluctuate a bit too. Yeah, totally. I found that last year where I actually had to turn my cheese fridge off because I couldn't get it below 20 degrees. So unfortunately, I had to put the the cheeses that were still maturing into the warmest part of the normal fridge, and 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 they took a bit longer, but that was okay. It didn't. They didn't. There were no failures, so there was no problems really. But they'd be a little bit milder, wouldn't they? They were milder, yeah. So there was a parmesan. So I actually had to age the parmesan for about another six months. So once I got the cheese fridge back on, I put it back in. And mm. uh, and let it go for another six months, but you know, with parmesan, you, you got to wait forever for it. It's incredible. Tell, tell me, can you can you wait too long for a parmesan? I've got some uh, that is uh, it it was really good eating, and then we didn't eat it, and uh, it's rock rock hard, and you couldn't grate it for you know, for anything. Is that still good cheese? Well, yeah, if you can't cut it and you can't grate it, then you probably can't eat it. <laughs> so yeah, I'll put it on a stone grinder or something. <laughs> that would work, I suppose. Um, yeah, yeah, I got I got one of those in the fridge too. It's a bit rock yeah. hard. And we managed to grate it. Um, uh, I just use a hand grater against the side. And it makes a nice Parmesan powder, but that's about all it's good for. Yeah. Um, good good yeah. for um, some pasta dishes, but I like... The parmesan. the parmesan's a great way when you're making butter. You know, you, you sort of skim the milk. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and you've got you've got something that you can uh, you can do with that skim milk besides uh, uh, pancakes and things. Yeah, exactly. No, yeah, it is. You do need a nice skim milk for um, for a parmesan. But uh, I find that I wax the parmesan now. I don't leave it uh, bare in the uh, cheese cave. Oh, and, okay. And it's um, and it turns out moist. And right. it still has that Parmesan flavour after a year. In fact, the flavour is fantastic. Yeah. Um, and then if I, uh, say, cut half of it for grating, um, then the other half I'll just vac pack and then put it in the normal fridge and then it stays moist. And you don't get that rock-hard Parmesan. Um, ah, yeah. that's a good tip. Yeah. So, yeah, so vacuum packing works for me when I, uh, with any wheel of cheese. If I've got a half left, I'll either yeah. re-wax it if I run out of vac packing plastic or I'll just backpack it and then put it in the normal fridge. It stops the maturing and it tastes the same next time you go to eat it. Yeah, cool. That's fabulous. So what's your favourite cheese to make? Now, you've, you said you make some regularly, but you must have a favourite one that's probably not one of those ones. Well, uh, I, I would say probably brie, um, just because it's, you know, you've got to mess with the mould on the outside and keep your humidity up and sort of feed that. Uh, uh, you know, it sort of gives you a uh, an interesting cheese with the softness of it, uh, but but just you know, curing it with the humidity and that sort of thing, I'd say it'd probably have to be a brie. But I don't do them very much anymore. Mm. Yeah, they are a bit of a challenge. It's very yeah. the process is extremely similar to camembert, and yeah. uh, and it, it's one of the trickiest cheeses to make if you haven't got that room to cure it to mature it in. That's perfect humidity you know sometimes it's hit and miss yeah well it's definitely hit and miss yeah yeah so what's one of your favorite cheeses to eat then to eat yeah uh probably blue vein lovely but i've never made one 
I, I, I'm not that bold. <laughs> <laughs> they're uh, they're an artwork, I tell you. Yeah, <laughs> they, but I, uh, I do like a, I do like some blue vein with a, a cracker biscuit and a slice of pear. Yeah, very nice. Fantastic. Yeah, blue cheese is one of my favourites, but it is it is it's not difficult to make. You just need a little bit of patience. Right. Um, I find, and it's it, it's easier than making a camembert, uh, but um, but it, it's harder to make than say a normal cheddar because you've right. got to you've got to aerate the you've got to put holes in it, you've got to grow the mold, and you've got to keep it at the right humidity as well and temperature. But not like I said, doesn't matter if the skin falls off because um, that's part of you've got to scrape the skin off. That's yeah. part of making the blue. Yeah. So, what's your favourite drink that goes with your favourite cheese? Kefir, kefir milk. No, I'm I'm messing with you. (laughs) I thought you were. (laughs) A a very nice biodynamic Merlot. Oh, lovely. Merlot is one of my favourite red wines. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I I would suggest that that would probably uh, suit me just down down to the ground. Very nice indeed. I, I don't mind a, a more full body wine either, you know. I, I was very much into uh, Cabernets and those things in yeah. the past, but uh, we seem to drink Merlot uh, now and, uh, and it works pretty well. We have we have in the Hunter Valley a very nice uh, vigneron that, that grows uh, his grapes biodynamically and um, and he makes uh, some very nice wines. Of course, the Hunter is well known for its Shiraz, and we do we do have some Shiraz occasionally. It's a sharper sort of wine. And yeah, it, it's kind of the Hunter Valley wine. Mm. But uh, oh, you're no, so I'd lucky. Have, I'd have to say Merlot. You're so lucky to have a biodynamic producer close by. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I've got to go miles and miles to get a decent wine from around here. <laughs> <laughs> one, I, one I like Rutherg- anyway. Rutherg Glen would be your place. Uh, look, there's the Yarra Valley is a okay. lovely wine growing region. The Pyrenees they grow wine and make wine there too. Um, the Pyrenees, that's in Europe. No, it? we've got one here too. Oh, okay. uh, it's, it's a it's it's between Ballarat and Ararat. Um, oh, okay. But uh, yeah, there's some Rutherg Glen is another area a little bit closer to the um, to the river. So the Murray, um, but uh, yeah, look, there's some lovely wine-growing regions. Don't get me wrong. Even down the Mornington Peninsula, they make some wicked uh, wines down there as well. Lovely Pinots because it's the right temperature. Yeah. And um, but uh, yeah, for me personally, I'd have to go seventy clicks to get a good wine. Yeah, right. So yeah, anyway, well, we're, we're very blessed. We've got a we've got a biodynamic uh, miller that mills the mills the flour. Uh, he's probably um, uh, Twenty or thirty kilometres away, but six kilometres away, we've got an oil, uh, an olive grower oh. that we get our oil from. So we are we are very very lucky where yeah. we are. You're right in the middle of it there. That's for yep. sure. That's yep. fantastic. So finally, what words of encouragement would you give um, new cheesemakers, cheesemakers that are just about to get started? What advice would you give them? Well, just give it a go. Um, you know, the thing that I say all the time, Gavin, is cheese making, bread making, until you do it, you kind of think you have to do a university degree to do it. But then once you get doing it, you realise that the stuff that you have in your kitchen and, uh, and the time that you have 
you can do something that, as I said before, I've never made a cheese that I couldn't eat. I've mucked a few up, but it hasn't been to the extent that I uh, couldn't eat it. So just, I would suggest if you're thinking of doing it, do it. You don't have to have, um, you know, a, a, a degree in cheese making to make cheese. No, definitely. Uh, I imagine that you could do a degree to make some artisan things, and that may lead on. But if you're starting out, just just do it. Just have and, a go. Start with a farmhouse cheddar or something, you know, and yep. and sort of build from that. Fantastic. That's fantastic advice. Thank you very much, Mark. And now, Mark, you said you had a Facebook page. What's Do you know what the address is or, or the Facebook page oh, name? No, you just, just kind of got to search Purple Pear Farm, Gavin. Oh, uh, fantastic. What I'll do, if, I'll do if that. If you put Purple Pear Farm into... Uh, into any sort of a search engine, it should come up with some good results. No problems. What I'll do, I'll do the same thing. I'll um, I'll find all the links and I'll put them into the show notes for all the listeners. You're an amazing person. Oh, thank you More very much. <laughs> Thanks very much, mate. It's been lovely talking to you, mate. Okay. All right. See you, Gavin. Bye. It was great talking to Mark Brown at Purple Pear Farm. Uh, if you want to have a look at his website, uh, you can pop over to www.purple, as in the colour purple, pear, as in the fruit, farm.com.au. So that's www.purplepearfarm.com.au. And you can also have a look at his wife Kate's blog. It's a, it's a really good read. I do frequent it quite often. So that's all we've got time for this week. There's the outro music. So upcoming workshop dates, recipes and cheese making videos can be found at littlegreencheese.com. You can also find my ebook Keep Calm and Make Cheese, The Beginner's Guide to Cheese Making at Home. And that's available in all ebook formats. You can find all my cheese making video tutorials also on the blog uh, or in the ebook or on my YouTube channel just search for Greening of Gavin. Thanks for listening, Curd Nerds, and stay tuned for the next episode of the Little Green Cheese Podcast. During this podcast, you heard royalty-free music by Kevin McLeod. I played Malt Shop Bop and Call to the Dairy Cows.